is Palm Sunday, so we're one week out from Easter. So just, just a reminder for Easter Sunday, next Sunday, 1030, as per usual. Please feel free to invite friends and family, and if anyone's visiting, bring them along as well. Uh, just a couple of announcements for you as we begin. First of all, all my announcement people are out of the country again, or in BC, I guess. But they're all gone, so if you have always wanted to stand in front and read announcements, and that's just been your passion in life, and you've never been allowed to do that, um, please come talk to us, because I would love not to have to stand up here all morning. Um, first things first, there's Sunday school today, so kids take note of that, uh, and there is a lot of really good snacks upstairs that Deb has ready, so kids get ready. That means you don't get the snacks after, though. I'm just kidding. It's okay. I could almost hear the, the groan there. Uh, our 2023 directories are available. Um, we can print them off, but and you know, trying to conserve uh, paper, we're we're emailing them out in the next couple of coming weeks here. But if you would prefer to have a paper one, if you just kind of like to make notes and all those kinds of things, then then just ask us, and we will get one to you. Um, I'm not exactly sure when, because Jaynette's not here this morning. But we will get those emailed out to you in the next couple of weeks here. As well, there will be coming to you uh, kind of a letter from the church. Now, we talked about this a while ago already back at our annual meeting and presented it um, just as information to you is we want to every quarter, so every three months, we as a church want to present out just a highlight update of what's going on in the church, some announcements uh, that are happening, different ministries that are going on, as well as a financial update so that you know where the church is at and, and just kind of where we're sitting from a financial perspective, and just to be really transparent with everyone about that. So that's going to be coming out here in a few weeks as well. So just take note of that, because uh, that would be really helpful information for everyone. Uh, in about a month and a half, we're going to be hosting the Canada National AGC Conference. So there's going to be about 200 people here that weekend. We're going to have to squeeze them in. It's going to be tight. Um, but we're looking for just a couple of volunteers on Thursday, the 25th of May in the afternoon, just to kind of help us set up some tables and, and let some of the people who need to go have a quick lunch break while we're doing registration. Uh, and then Shayla is going to be after a few people to kind of help with just organizing some of the snacks. Uh, all the snacks and all those things are planned. It's just we need some people that can move some stuff and put stuff on some tables. Um, so if you would like to help with that over the Friday or, or the Thursday night, Friday or Saturday, uh, please feel free to talk to Shayla about that as well. Uh, in the back, kind of by the fridge, if you all turn and look at the fridge. Just kidding, it never works. There's, uh, there's a sign-up list for Tuesday for soup and Friday for chili. Uh, you can sign up there, but even better is Monica has taken over and has made us become digital. So if you want to sign up, there's an there's a online link that you can do that, and you can fill in kind of which shift, which time would work, and then we'll make the transfer onto the paper uh, so that that is uh, available for you there. So you can sign up there, but uh, digitally also is available. Two more things, three more things, sorry. We're going to look at membership and baptism uh, during the summer. And so if you've wondered about membership, um, if you've wondered about baptism, what are these ordinances, what, what do they mean, what do they represent, what do they do, we're going to be talking about that through the summer, or, or at least partially through the summer. And then we'll be having baptism and membership Sunday coming up then. So if you would like to be part of that, please do come and talk to me, and I'll be happy to get you all the information you need, and we'll sit down and, and have some conversation about that. One really exciting thing is Peyton 
is taken some of our young people to Strive this year. Strive is the AGC West Youth Conference. And so that, Shayla and I, that's close to our hearts because we were part of that uh, many years ago when, when we were in youth ministry, part of the team that uh, created and, and sustained that event. And it's an awesome, awesome event for, so if you're grade six, or sorry, grade seven to 12, uh, it is open to you. Uh, if we have any more people come, then Peyton needs another volunteer driver slash sponsor. So don't let the kids down. I'm just kidding. That's guilt. Uh, Peyton will come and find a few of you if, if, if need be. But if you, uh, Claire, I'm looking at you right now, or other, if you have friends that want to come, please go talk to Peyton about this. She would love to do it uh, and, and take the kids with you. And a bonus is Strive now takes place at Peyton's home. So she knows everything that you need to know about Miller. So if you're a parent and you're like, where is this? This sounds like it's in the middle of nowhere. You're correct. But Peyton will be able to give you all the information you need for that. So that's coming up. Uh, unfortunately, it's the same weekend as our AGC conference. So if you're going to volunteer, you can only do one or the other. But that would be great if you could uh, go talk to Peyton about that. And then just to put in your calendar, upcoming, the third week of July, we are planning for VBS. So that's Vacation Bible School. So that's going to take place over a couple of hours, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening. Uh, and we haven't been able to do this since before COVID. And so we're really excited for it. We're going to partner with the Full Gospel Church down the street. But we do need people willing to kind of help out with the kids. So if you want to maybe check your calendar as you look ahead and maybe be willing to take a few evenings there to help us, that would be wonderful. That's all that I have. Any, anything else we need to be made aware of this morning? Okay, let's pray real quick as we begin, and then Jordan can come up and the team. God, thank you for this morning. What a privilege and honor it is to be able to come and to worship you, to open scripture, to hear what you have to say to us, and to learn more about your character. God, I pray that you would receive honor and glory from us now as we sing praises to you. We're so grateful for all that you do for us. Be with, in, be with us in these moments now. Amen. Sid, Fruit of the Spirit, what are we doing this week? VBS, right? I'm so excited. I haven't been able to do kids songs in ages. Wee. I didn't even know we were doing VBS until like three days ago. So I'm very excited. Uh, do you guys want to stand? We're going to sing together. <coughs> yeah, sorry to put you on the spot there.
would you guys like to say hello to each other for a minute? <laughs> Just in case you haven't already.
change your life. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right, kids, you can uh, mosey on your way back and follow Miss Deb, the bringer of snacks. You know what? Yeah, it's very smart. I like it. Let's, uh, let's just spend a few moments uh, in prayer. We'll invite the guys up for the offering as well, and the plates will go uh, around. Uh, reminder, you can give online, uh, and according to our treasurer, online giving is far surpassing the in-person now, so that's good because uh, it's less chance for us to forget. So uh, let's, uh, let's just spend some moments of prayer here. God, thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for the truth of the songs that we have sung particularly the reality that there's nobody too far from your grace and your mercy and your love. And so, God, we want to pray this morning for those in our lives that do not know you. Our family, our friends, co-workers. God, we want nothing more than for them to understand and see who Jesus is. And so, God, we pray for them that they might understand and see that, but we pray for courage for us. We know that the normative way in which you bring the gospel to people is through us as your, as your vessels. And so would you give us courage to speak the truth, but speak the truth in love and grace, that we might show our family and our friends the difference that Jesus makes in our life, and that we would have the right words to say at the right times, but even more importantly than that, that your Holy Spirit would be working in their life so that they might be ready to receive and to hear. God, as we open scripture here in just a few moments, and as we read these words written so long ago, they are no less relevant today than they were then. And so I pray that you would show us that, that you would remind us of what is true and what is right. that you are a God who redeems, you are a God who saves, that you are a God who walks with us through our circumstance. And as we'll see again this morning, which we've learned many times, that no matter what is happening in our world, no matter what's happening in our lives, in the present situation that we find ourselves in, that you are there with us. And that not only are you there, but you have purpose even in the midst of the worst of what we can imagine that you are a God who takes broken things and redeems them. And so God, remind us of that truth this morning. We pray for our Sunday school. We thank you for the teachers that so diligently prepare these lessons and, and teach your word to them in a way that they can grasp and understand. God, we pray for these kids that as they go, that these just wouldn't be things taught, but that they would be truths explained and that they might understand who you are and that they might seek to follow you with their lives. God, help us to be examples and role models of what it means to follow after Jesus. God, we want to pray as well for those who are traveling. There are many, many who are away right now and 
And we just pray for them as they're on the road or whether they're flying or, or whatever it is, that you would just keep them safe. That you would help them to know that you are just as present with them today as ever. God, there are some who are away due to health reasons, and so we pray for them and ask for your touch of healing in their lives. Whatever the specific situation is, whatever the need is, you know all of those things. And in our limited wisdom, we don't know all your purposes, but we do come before you and ask that you would make them well. Heal their bodies, heal their minds, heal their emotions. Whatever is hurting this morning, would you comfort? God, as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning, uh, again, remind us, remind us anew every time that you don't need any of this. It's all yours anyway. But you have called us as, as sons and daughters of yours. You have called us to steward what we have well, not only for ourselves, but that we would give freely of the resources in which you have given us and that we would serve others. And so God, may we do that willingly and cheerfully this morning. May we recognize that what we give to you, you're going to use far greater ways than we ever could. And God, we do pray for the church board as they wrestle with how to use the funds that are given. May you give them great wisdom and discernment so that we only do things that you're already involved in. That we don't seek to push our own agenda, but we would ask what you would have us do with them and that we would steward it in a way that honors you. So God, for the rest of our service this morning now, we entrust to you. We ask you to speak to each one of our hearts that when we leave this place, that we may know you more and know what that means for our practical day-to-day -day lives. May we leave this place changed. God, we love you. Go with us now. Amen. All right, you can uh, open to Exodus chapter 12. There's, there's good news and bad news. The good news is we were able to get a new microphone system thing that makes it so I don't cut out all the time, which is very helpful for me, probably more than you. Um, the bad news is I lost my little clip, and so now my little cable runs all over the place, and so if I'm very distracted by that, I apologize. But if you find a little black clip somewhere on the floor, hopefully Yvette didn't throw it out, yesterday. Just kidding. Just kidding, Yvette. Um, it's already in the garbage. <laughs> okay. All right. So I guess we got to get a new one. Okay. No problem. Okay. Well, good morning. If you're, if you're visiting with us or, or if you're kind of new to the community, uh, let me just tell you where we have been uh, because we're kind of wrapping up uh, a very crucial part of, of 
all of Scripture, all of the narrative of, of God's ultimate calling for salvation and how he's going to accomplish that. And so the, the book of Exodus begins, or I should rather say the, the book of Genesis ends uh, with, and we'll talk about this more specifically, but with 70 people that go, 70 Israelites, uh, Hebrew people that go into the land of Egypt uh, to live there for a time while there's famine in their land. And God blesses them greatly, and, and Joseph is, is second in command over everyone. But over the course of some years, the Egyptians get very fearful of this growing, very blessed people. And so a pharaoh, uh, not, not the same pharaoh that appointed Joseph second in command, but somewhere along the line after that, we're not exactly sure where, or when, excuse me, um, they are so fearful of this nation that they enslave them, and they treat them very unjustly, and the people cry out to God saying, we need rescue from this situation. And so Moses comes on the scene, and I'm giving you a real, real short synopsis here, but Moses comes on the scene, and God says, I'm going to use you and your brother Aaron uh, to bring about the freedom from slavery for the, for the Hebrew people. And so they begin this, they go tell the people, and the people worship God, and they're so thankful, but then there's a delay in that. And it's not a delay in the sense of God was delayed, God had his plan already set. But the people expected that God was just going to release them from slavery right then, right there in that moment. But God had plans and purposes beyond just the idea of freedom. And, and, and I think this is probably the first and most important thing for us to grasp as application in the book of Exodus. Is that God does things in his timing and in his purposes because he's not only concerned with you and your individual life and your individual situation. He's concerned about far broader things than that. And so we start to learn and start to see that the, these ten plagues of Egypt, they come upon uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians because not only is God uh, punishing the Egyptians for their enslavement of the Hebrew people, not only is he intending to rescue his people from that, but he's trying to show all nations that, that Egypt, which is kind of the superpower house of the day, uh, and, and, Egyptian, or the, and the Egyptian gods have no authority over the one true God. That he alone is in power, that he alone is God of all things. And the point is not just to try and puff up some ego and to go, no one can compete with me. His point is to go, all you people that are serving all these other gods, you're never going to find satisfaction in that. You're never going to find hope. You're never going to find fulfillment. And God's saying, it's only in me that you're going to find salvation ultimately because all other gods are not real gods. And so it's an act of mercy. It's not only freeing the Hebrew people, but trying to show the Egyptians and many other nations who he is so that others would come to him. And so we've gone through these, these nine plagues so far and, and a lot of preparation for the tenth plague. And you've started to see some Egyptians recognize that, man, Egypt is ruined. This one true God, he, he has so much more power than ours. And, and you start to see in some of the plagues that they actually uh, do what Moses says. The warning is this. And some of the Egyptians respond to that warning. We'll talk about that a little bit more this morning because it has significance. But then these last couple of weeks, we've been leading up to this final tenth plague, the plague of the firstborn. 
And I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time here. I'll, I'll talk about it briefly, but I want to remind you to go back either last week or the week before. If you really struggle when you're reading this going, it sounds so arbitrary that God would kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. It sounds so unjust and un, it, just, it, it just makes your skin crawl. Is I want you to go back and, and listen uh, to what we talked about in the Passover and what all those things represented and symbolized and remind ourselves that it's, it's, not, it's not God's arbitrariness here. Is there's been a Pharaoh who has enslaved a people unjustly. There's a Pharaoh who has thrown all baby boys into the Nile to drown to death because he doesn't want those people to, to continue to increase. This act that we're going to read of this morning is an act of justice that God deems necessary. And that's hard to grasp sometimes. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. But if you want to explore that in more depth, I just encourage you to go back the last couple of weeks. And as we kind of finished with the Passover, as we kind of finished with the explanation of what to do in the Passover, what this is going to look like, then we finally get to the 10th plague, which we've been kind of building to and building to and building to. And so this morning we're going to read this. There's only three verses actually about the 10th plague. And then we're going to begin this idea of the Exodus, which obviously is where the book gets its name from. So starting in chapter 12, verse 29, we're going to read 29 to 42. It says this. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough uh, that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Now it might seem kind of strange as you've been reading through these plagues and watching the explanations get bigger and bigger, and then this final plague, which is kind of where everything was leading and pointing to, there's only three verses spoken of. 
And at first glance, that's maybe strange, but if we remember uh, all of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, there's been preparation, and for us, the reader or the original audience who would be reminded of, of the history of this, the focus is not as much on the plague as on the, the redemptive act of the, the lamb that was slain and the blood that was put on the posts. And so that anybody who was obedient to God, God would pass over that house. But as I said, the, the consequences for the Egyptians are still here. The divine act of justice that God has chosen to do is still going to happen to uh, the Egyptians. And again, we can wrestle with this idea that sometimes it's, it's clear that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and so it feels unfair. But again, if you go back, there's no hardening of Pharaoh's heart when he's throwing the, Egypt, or the Hebrew boys into the Nile. When he's refusing to give them straw and requiring them to do even more slave labor. See, the whole point is that as you've read up to this, is that Pharaoh is the worst, most vile character that we've come across in the Bible. And so God's punishment is upon him. But not only him, the entire nation, because the entire nation was complicit in the act. And this is that reminder that sometimes it feels unfair where it's like, well, this person did this, so why should I have to suffer for that? We've talked about this lots, but our actions have a, have a wide-ranging impact upon people. And, and in today's world where we have this extreme individualism where we think that it's all about me and what I should get and what I deserve and who I am, we've ignored the fact that we're part of community. We're part of people. We're part of a group. And my actions implicitly and explicitly have consequence for all those who are around me. The Egyptians chose to obey Pharaoh and to throw the children in the Nile. They chose to obey Pharaoh and beat and whip and torture the Hebrews as they were trying to make bricks. But finally, Pharaoh reaches his end. The, the sorcerers and the kind of wise men of Egypt, if you will, that were surrounding the Pharaoh and trying to give him wisdom, they had already been saying, Pharaoh, don't you realize Egypt's ruined? Let them go. But it takes until this moment, and I think, obviously, it takes until this moment, because when your stuff gets destroyed, that's one thing. As Randy McLean always says, you can always buy more stuff. The bank's always there for you, don't worry. That's not the moral of the story. Don't, uh, don't take that. But you can replace stuff. Stuff has maybe sentimental value sometimes. But we can replace stuff, generally speaking. But all of a sudden, for Pharaoh to have been warned and to go to bed, and, and I can only imagine, and, and it's not in the text, so I don't want to speculate, but just to get inside the head of Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians is watching God bring these plagues about over and over and watching the severity of them get worse and worse. And everything that Moses said says that God is going to do, God does. And so when the warning comes that tonight every firstborn in Egypt will be killed. I don't know as a parent how you go to sleep real good that night. And so the fear must have been very palpable. And so all of a sudden Pharaoh is, is here and it says that they, they rise in the night from a probably very unsettled sleep. And when they go in and they go to see uh, their children to see has 
has this God done what God said he would do? And every house, it says, within every house, someone has died. And again, I can only get in the mind in theory. But the crying and the mourning, the wailing and the hurt, it actually says, it, it's prophesied earlier, but it says now that there's just a, a cry that has never been heard in Egypt. This brings Pharaoh to his knees. He finally relents. He finally says, get out. But he says it in a very interesting way. He finally says, you can go. But look at the very last few words of that. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. It's a very strange thing at first. And I kind of went down this rabbit hole a little bit, and scholars talk about how the last time that a Hebrew gave a blessing to Pharaoh was Jacob in his, in his old age as he's about to die in Egypt, blessing the Pharaoh for, for taking them in and for Joseph being exalted to this place of prominence and, and Joseph, through the dreams that God gave him, saving all the Egyptians and the Hebrews. This is the last time a spiritual blessing was given by a Hebrew to an Egyptian. And so certainly there's significance there, but I think even more than that is it's just this simple, is Pharaoh has recognized, I can't continue. I can't keep fighting. Not only are we losing all of our property, now we're losing our very children. And again, that's not coincidence, that's that's. The fact that the, the Egyptians threw all the Hebrews in the Nile. There's vengeful justice from God. And that sounds bad. But if there was no justice, wouldn't we think God to be a coward? Now the problem is, of course, my view of justice is always very subjective to my own life. And so God alone knows what's just and God alone does what is right. And I have to submit myself under that, recognizing that there's a God in heaven who knows all things. There's a God in heaven who has chosen how these situations to unfold, and they're with purpose and meaning. So even when I don't understand it completely, even when my skin crawls to think of the amount of death that happens, is I can know that God didn't do this arbitrarily. That God's not just up in heaven looking down, figuring out who he can kill and squash, but rather that he's incredibly merciful. But he's a good father who protects his children. It's only three verses, but three verses that are very, very powerful. And so before we move on to the next section is to go, well, well, how does this uh, apply to my life? How can I read these three verses, see the the catastrophic things that are happening, and go, okay, how does this apply to me without taking it out of context? Well, I think it goes back to a verse that's easily the most quoted verse from me in the Bible, which is Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Though the Egyptian or sorry, though the Hebrew people have entered into slavery and have been unjustly treated and killed and beaten and all these crazy things, 
is there's the reminder that Paul gives us that God is in control still and he is ultimately going to bring about redemption. And so if God is for me, then who can be against me? And that sounds good in theory, but when you think about Paul and his life, is he, he lived this out because he said, if I die, it's actually gain. Because I get to go be with him. And so I think if we, if we flip this on its head a little bit and start to think in a unique way of with eternity in mind, is usually we're like, man, we gotta, we got to stay as long as we can on this earth because this is all we have. But the reality is, is this life is just preparing us for the next, which is infinitely greater than anything we could imagine. And that's why Paul, in, in his epistles, in his letters that he was writing, was the same as the Egyptians. He was being shipwrecked and beaten and, and abused and people were stoning him and trying to have him killed. And he went, okay, if I die, it's gain because I get to go be with my Lord. We need to have a more eternal perspective in the circumstances of our life. Now, this doesn't mean that circumstances and difficulties aren't real. And it doesn't mean that the hurt that you're going through today is, is unimportant. It's very real. But the implication from this is, is that God is at work, and so he, in his timing, will do what is right and what is good. This is a lesson that we probably need to learn all the time. This is one that I probably forget every single time God has done something faithful. And unfortunately, we're going to see in the next coming chapters that the Hebrew people will forget God's miracles over and over and over again. Is when something happens to me that goes outside of my timeline, instead of going, okay, God, what are you doing in this? And how can I trust you? And how can I be patient? I just try and fix it. Maybe you can relate to that. Now, we have been given brains to think, but we've been given the reminder in Scripture in in James that we are to ask for God when we, or ask for God's wisdom when we lack it, not our own. We're not just supposed to respond. We're supposed to say, God, what would you have me do? And so when we read about the Egyptians and we can go, man, my circumstances are nothing like that, but there are crisis and pain and hurt and disease and illness and all these things in my life and in those around me? Will I trust that God has a plan and while it might not be 10 plagues happening to the world around me, it is one step at a time where God is bringing about redemption, not only for me, but perhaps even through me to all nations. We never know what God is doing. Leanne told us a story at Bible study this last week that was kind of really indicative of this. And, and someone thought he was, he was supposed to share the gospel with this one person. And, and so he built up the courage and he went and he shared it with that person. And, and it kind of went over horribly and the person was kind of real upset about this. And, and, and so the person who shared the gospel walked away going like, well, that's not what I expected. But years later, as it turns out, is while he was sharing the gospel with someone, there was a tile worker working on a floor that he didn't see that they got to meet years later. And that tile worker went up to him and said, because you shared the gospel with that person, I became a Christian. You just don't know what God's doing. And from that individual's perspective going, man, a failed opportunity to share the gospel turned into another soul that gets to be in heaven. Our circumstances, as real and as serious as they are, 
are only our circumstances. And God sees so much beyond that. So let's quickly here move in to verse 33. And, and we see in an, an, pardon me, an acknowledgement from the Egyptians, uh, something that we already know, but that they realize as they say, right, like, just go away, get out of the land, for soon we're all going to be dead. Now, it's not as though God has threatened to kill every Egyptian. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is an acknowledgement that Job made in chapter 12, verse 10, where he says this. In his hand, that's God he's speaking of, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. As God holds your life in his hand. And the Egyptians are very well aware now that they have stood in opposition to this one true God and that they have abused and beaten and killed his people that he is choosing to use. And so they're crying out, get out of the land because we cannot stand before this God any longer. He is too powerful for us. But there's something else that we've learned in Scripture is that God doesn't just hold the control and the power in the situation where we deem he's present, but everywhere. Because if you remember back to the book of Jonah, as Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, and he goes, no, I'm not going to do it, and so I'm going to run away, and I'm going to run away in the exact opposite direction, thinking that somehow God isn't over there, and what happens to Jonah? It's everyone's favorite children's story, isn't it? It's very strange. Gets swallowed by a whale or a great fish. And God goes, Jonah, you can't run away. You may think you can run away, but you can't. Because I'm still going to use you. And I think there's tremendous encouragement in that for you and for me. Is that God's at work in your life whether you're listening or not. That's great news. The only question now is, are we, are we going to choose to listen? So that maybe we don't try and run the opposite way and have to get swallowed by a whale and get spit back out on the beach. One other thing that I just want to quickly mention here as well, just because I thought this is a good reminder, is as the people leave, right, as they go out, is they're given great possession. Uh, they plunder the Egyptians. And we've talked about this. This is a prophecy fulfilled from uh, Exodus 3.22. Because the people were sitting there going, we're in slavery, and what is God going to do? Pharaoh has just rejected our, our request to be sent free, and God says, don't, don't worry. Not only are you going to go free, you're going to plunder them. You're going to take their goods and, and clothing and money. They're going to give it to you freely, and so you're going to go out with great wealth. And you're kind of thinking at that point, that doesn't make any sense. That can't happen. And so not only does that happen here and is fulfilled, but it actually goes back further to Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, this is what the Lord says to Abram before he's even renamed Abraham. God says this, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. This isn't as though the Hebrew people ended up in slavery and God went, okay, here's my reactive plan to that. As God's known from the beginning what's going to happen. 
God's plans are already written down. So, so this is the good news here is you and I can trust everything that God said in his word because he's always faithful. That is so much more important than I think we ever dare realize. Is there any person in your life that hasn't let you down before? That hasn't said something hurtful? Or who hasn't done something selfish towards you? Easy answer is no, right? Even those that we love the most, we sometimes hurt and sometimes they hurt us. God and God alone is the one who is faithful to everything that he says and he will do everything that he has said. And so this morning, we were going to take communion. Communion is usually done the first Sunday of the month, but um, we just decided that we're going to postpone that till next week for Easter Sunday. It just seemed to just make sense for us to do that then. But in the same way as when we do come and we celebrate communion together, it's with this intent that God has promised that Jesus is coming again. And so it's as good as done. Now, the timeline hasn't made as much sense to church historians as they thought or expected. But that doesn't make his promises any less true. Last, uh, maybe, maybe two weeks ago, Travis came into church wearing, are you wearing it today? No. He was wearing a shirt that said, uh, one of my favorite verses in scripture, and again, you've heard me say this over and over and over again, but this is the reality that we need to input into our lives is Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work in the mess of your life and my life. In the hurt, in the pain, in the uncertainty, he's working. And so when we read back about what's happening in Egypt, it can maybe seem like it's a story told thousands of years ago that has no relevance to us, or we can see it as, okay, my circumstances are different than those circumstances, but I have the same heart cries to God. God, I need your help. Please free me from this. And God goes, don't worry, I am. And I'm going to do this in my time with my purpose. Will we trust that? As they leave, we're reminded in verse 37 and 39, uh, sorry, verse 37 to 39, how God has blessed this nation, even despite their hardships in, in Egypt. Is in Exodus 1, verse 5, and I said this at the beginning, about 70 people from their family came in. And now what does it say? 600,000 men, plus women and children. Now there is some scholarly debate about the exact number of people and, and the interpretation or, or the translation, I guess, from Hebrew into English. And so we're not exactly sure how many people there are, but the simple point is this, is there enough that the Pharaoh was terrified that they would join the neighbors and overthrow them? So they've gone from 70 to many. And remember back in the beginning of Exodus, when the numbers increased, the Pharaoh said, man, we just got to work them harder and treat them even more brutally so that they just can't grow in number. And God said, that's not how this works. God said, I get to choose that. And so God continued to increase them. They have huge number of flocks and herds, and they've come out with this plunder is, is yes, things were awful, but they've come out as verse 38 says, with very much possessions. God is in charge, not Pharaoh, not any other man. Another important implication in verse 38 
is, let me just read it because this is interesting. A mixed multitude also went up with them. What do you think that means? It's one little word, mixed, that's really important. Simply is this, it's no longer only Jewish people that are going up. They're going up with Egyptians who have confessed that God is the one true God. And the following verses here that we're not going to read from verses 43 uh, to 49 are reminders of all those sojourners that come to be with you when you do the Passover is if they're willing to become part of your group, identify as, as, a, as, as someone who the Yahweh is the one true God. And as long as they confess that, then you are to welcome them in and they are to keep the Passover with you. Because right from the beginning, it was never meant that one people group would be God's people. It was that one people group was chosen by God to reach all people groups. And so imagine now, if you will, you're Hebrew people. You've been enslaved, you've been beaten, you've been abused. And you're being brought up out of slavery and you're bringing some of those very people who were part of that. Because they've recognized that this one true God is the real God. I think that puts a different slant on this understanding of what it means to be gracious, what it means to be including of people. So here's the implication for me. Do I pray for the salvation of those who have wronged me, or do I pray for justice against them? God clearly wants to be in relationship with them and wants to bless them and wants them to come to faith in him. And as I said earlier, the normative way in which he does that is through you and I. And so we've got to get rid of all that baggage, all that hurt, all that pain, all that frustration. And we've got to see people the way that God sees them when they become a believer as a new creation. Because I need to remember and I need to be reminded regularly that I don't deserve salvation, not even one bit that my heart is no worse than anyone else's heart. It's because of God and no one else that I find salvation. A mixed multitude goes up. We're going to see what happens in the coming weeks of that, but for sake of time, we're going to skip some of this. Moses concludes by saying, the time that the people lived in Israel was 430 years. And at the end of those 430 years, on the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, and it was a night of watching to the Lord. That might seem like a kind of strange thing, but basically all it's saying is this. Because God watched over them, they too would stand on duty in remembrance of what God has done for them as they left Egypt. I really like that phrase, stand on duty. It's not just sitting down going, God, thanks for all you've done, that swell, and kind of moving on. There's a, there's a plan, a concrete plan in place of how to remember. How to remind ourselves of all that God has done in our life. And so maybe this is a practice that you and your family can get into of, of maybe weekly, maybe Sunday lunch, you can go home together and you can say, hey, what's a way that God has done something great through the situations around us or through me or that he's done for me that I can remember his faithfulness to. 
And when we do that, we're doing exactly what we learned about last week, where we are modeling to the next generation that we're not just casually grateful that God has rescued us, is that we recognize just how unbelievable a gift his salvation is. And that we will tell all those that we are with, look what God has done. Moses concludes, verse 50 and 51. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, by their hosts. The chapter ends very kind of hopeful. But if you've read ahead, you know there's a lot of bumps in the road to go through. But it should end hopeful with this sense that, oh look, God did what God said he was going to do. That's the reminder we need to walk away from here with today. I don't know the situations that you're dealing with. I don't know the specific hurts that you have and the pains that you have. And I'm not trying to diminish them any bit. But what I am trying to do is to help us read through Scripture and have a broader view of God so that we don't just expect that God's going to change all of our misfortunes into good things here right now. Because God's perspective is so much bigger and broader and longer. His goal, ultimately, is that I would become more like Christ, that I would mature every day, that I would learn to trust in him. And generally speaking, the only way I learn to trust in him is when I don't have any other option. I don't know about you. Maybe you learn quicker than I do. Your circumstances are not in control. It's God who's in control. And so if you're struggling this morning, if you're doubting that you can trust God in the midst of your hurt, Here's my plea, don't don't suffer in silence and don't suffer alone. You have a church family here or if you're visiting, I hope you have a church family where you live. If you don't, plug into one. Because we need the people of God to surround us and help us and remind us that even when it feels like God is far away, that God is right there with us. In a lack of strength that we maybe have to pick ourselves up sometimes, we need our brothers and sisters to do it for us. The other night, Smong and I were reading this uh, adventure kids Bible book kind of thing. And, and in it, it was the story of Moses that we're going to get to, but where there's a battle going on. And if you, maybe you remember this, that when the Hebrew army is battling, they're winning only as long as Moses' hands are in the air. You ever tried to hold your hands up in the air for hours? probably couldn't even do two minutes. And every time he put his arms back down out of exhaustion, out of, you know, muscle cramps, whatever else, is then they would start to lose. And so people walked up and they held Moses' arms up for him. And there's beauty in that example. Is that the church of God is here to lift you up when you've got nothing left. So don't pretend that you're angry or not angry with God if you're angry with God. Go and talk to someone who can help you. Maybe they can't fix your situation, but maybe they can help you process things. Maybe they can sit and hurt with you and cry with you. Maybe they can just show you that you are still loved even if you don't feel it. We will need one another, especially especially as our culture becomes more and more antagonistic towards Christians and towards the gospel. We're going to find that we need the family of God 
more than we ever have in our history. Let's pray. God, this is, uh, I guess, the conclusion, at least of the time in Egypt. But as we're going to see in the coming weeks, that just because they've left one place doesn't mean that all circumstances are all better. And God, I pray that we would recognize that same truth in our own lives. Even if the situation that we're facing right now gets resolved, it doesn't mean that everything ahead of us is easy and simple. We are in a spiritual battle where Satan does not want us to win. But the crazy and amazing thing is that we have already known and read in Scripture that Jesus has already conquered. So we have no reason to fear. So God, would we really invest in the family of God? Would we search who we can help and encourage and lift up when they don't have what it takes? When we don't have what it takes and when we're exhausted and feeling isolated and alone, would you surround us with those people who love us enough that they're not willing to let us go? Would we trust in your plans, in your timing, and know that ultimately you're doing so much more than we could ever grasp or imagine? God, be with us as the family of God today. Remind us how desperately we need one another on our journey to become more like Christ. God, we look forward to next Sunday when we get to celebrate that sin was beaten, that death was conquered, and that if we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we can be with you for all of eternity. Would you prepare us in our minds and in our hearts this week so that that gospel message that we hear again on Sunday is not something that we've heard a million times, but that it is the most beautiful news that we have ever heard. Go with us today now, God. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing. Be with us in these next days. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. If you're, if you're visiting, there's snacks over here at the back. There's no rush to get out. We'd love to chat and connect with you as best we can. And if you do have any hurts or any needs or questions, please do come find me. Hope you have a wonderful week.